So last week we had Adventures in Beowulf, right? We have this holodeck episode. I, I suppose we had adventures, yes. Uh, yeah, and... Of some sort. This week, after all of that sour taste of hollow novel has finally gotten out of our mouths, we have beginning with Captain Janeway's adventures in the holodeck. And I have to be honest, if I were watching this at the time it was aired, I would have shut it off during the cold open. Because why? Well, well, because I would have. Because originally I was thinking, oh great, another fucking holodeck episode in a row. Yeah, so the story behind this is that uh, they wanted to enhance the character of Catherine Janeway in some way, showing her on her leisure time. This was originally going to be in another episode. I don't remember which one it was, yeah. but they had to move it around because I mean, it's of a, some reason. And It's you know. an in, in, it's a interchangeable scene in a way. We And I, I find in general Voyager has a lot of these scenes, like with Neelix, for example, in the next episode, uh, you know, scenes which is just a little character moment that could fit anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I, but I think a lot of the yeah. shows did that kind of thing. I don't think it's anything endemic to Voyager. No, no, no. Well, I, you know, I, I think that I like the beginning of this episode yeah. fine. I mean, I think that it's interesting that Janeway is the type of woman that wants to pretend to be a Victorian nanny. Well, she's this is very much a Jane Eyre, uh, right? The, Rebecca kind of a thing where. You know, being the governess, she's going to discover what's on the floor. You know, she's going into this gothic adventure kind of a thing, which, sure. It's really interesting to me, though, because I don't know if we talked about DS9 in relationship to to TNG as much when we first started doing DS9. But I'm finding that I want to talk about Voyager in relation to DS9 because... DS9 never did this kind of stuff. And I'm I'm starting to realize exactly how unique and singular Deep Space Nine's approach to Star Trek was because yes, Star, you know, Deep Space Nine did do holodeck episodes a few times. But for the most part, we didn't necessarily see what they were doing. Well, I I like we didn't actually But we knew exactly I mean, we had a lot of we certainly saw a lot of what they did when they went to Vic Fontaine's, for example. And right. even though we, I, I, I guess we never really had a scene inside the holodeck of O'Brien and Bashir. You know, do it was more them planning it, or they've just you know finished playing their game and they're you know they're still in their costumes, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I frankly think from a comedy point of view, it's funnier that we never actually see them playing Davy Crockett, that it's just, you know, this weird thing that they're always going off and doing. Um, but that happened most of the time. I mean, O'Brien and, and Bashir, I was thinking about, of course. Also, you know, Kira and Dax, Jedzia Dax, yeah. would, would do that kind of thing every once in a while. There was that uh, wonderful scene where I think it was Kira running out in the giant hat from yeah. one of those episodes. So so it was uh, always kind Quark of... Quark would play up, you know, the... What is it? The pleasure mazes, mazes. I remember that one. Yeah, you're right. They talked about it. More they, than they they talked about it more than they actually showed it, and I think it's it's interesting to to examine why because Voyager is much more of a TNG style approach to Star Trek, where a lot of the pieces of the show have directly come from from the way TNG told yeah. its stories, and I think that that's interesting i don't know what it means yet and i I think it makes sense of course because the the three primary people that have written the most episodes of the show so far have all come from ds9 whereas or come from from tng i mean not not from ds9 
And I think that opening up the episode, uh, opening up Cathexis, how did we pronounce Cathexis. this? Sure. Cathexis. Cathexis. I don't even know what that means. Uh, it's the psychological act of investing mental energy in caring about something, something or somebody. Essentially putting emotional investment into something. Why didn't, what, they, why didn't they just name the episode that? Well, that would have been know. a better name because I could have pronounced it. Anyway, I, I think that well, opening up the episode with, with Janeway's Adventures in the Holodeck is, is interesting to me because they, they've already done this a few times. And what it says to me is that TNG did this, of course, because each episode was sort of atomized around a particular person. And DS9 did that sometimes, not always. Whereas the the holo, the holo suite scenes in DS9 primarily were a way for characters to bond all together, whereas in TNG and, and and Voyager it seems to be more about either individual characters yeah. giving a giving a flavor of their personality through what they like to do in the holodeck, or pairings of characters that like for example Paris's. Marseille bar right yeah. where it is it, it's a little bit of a crew thing but in the first instance of it it was just Kim and Paris and that was supposed to solidify their friendship yeah it's about Paris you know the, their holodeck has in a way in a way is everybody's happy place let's say and you know Paris showing his happy place to Carrie Kim is uh a sign of his his growing intimacy he's giving him something very personal in a way um yeah I and- mean I guess TNG uses the See, when I think about TNG's use of the holodeck, where it gets me is stuff like the big goodbye where you have holodeck characters starting to be aware of themselves and, you know, ultimately, whatever, whether or not you like the whole Moriarty arc in TNG, it isn't definitely a case of... The arc of two episodes. (laughs) Well, (laughs) fair enough. Um it's about whether it's about a new form of life in a way, and TNG in many cases, in the character of Data, in many episodes such as you know with the crystalline entity or those late beings or the little uh, drill bots that Data believes have become sentient. Uh, a lot of TNG episodes were concerned with questioning, you know, is this life? Is this sentient life? Is this something that we can? And yes, as the Federation, we have to re, you know, if we see something that doesn't fit our definition of life, that may mean that we need to redefine it rather than exclude this. And the holodeck was, I think, another way of using that, uh, giving that theme. I, I think that's overstating the case a little bit. I mean, that, that was really three episodes of a television show that had 179 episodes or something like that. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, certainly they did that kind of thing, but I don't think they primarily used a holodeck for that. There were a lot more holodeck episodes on TNG. And that's that. fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but I think that for, I mean, for instance, I think it's instructive to compare who was using the holodeck in Heroes and Demons versus what we see in, in Cathesex, because yeah. of course, in Heroes and Demons, you had Harry Kim, the ensign, the person who was the lowest senior officer on the ship, pretending to be the the bona fide hero yeah. of the story. Whereas Janeway is more interested in coming in more of an, as an outsider yeah, yeah. and not being the one in charge because that's novel to her because she's the captain yeah. of the ship. Yeah, it's a, it, we, we are learning a lot about who these characters are by what they're fantasizing about. And frankly, I think the holodeck is much more of a... Uh, it's it, it may be more important to these characters because they are all so far from home. You know, you you have ca- 
Tom Paris is going to be recreating this Marseille bar he went to in college because, you know, not only is there the general nostalgia of, oh, here's the place I used to hang out in, but this is a place that is completely barred to him that both by time and space at this point. Yeah. It may not exist. It, 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 it effectively does not exist anymore. And so they are using this as just as, again, in the next episode, Neelix is proud about how he's fixing everybody's favorite food from home uh, as a little way of cheering them up when they have very little. You're right. The holodeck is going to be the tiniest portal back to the familiar and the comforting. Which is interesting also because – and I don't know that the show is doing this deliberately or consciously, but we have not seen any of the Maquis crew members using the holodeck in this way yet. Hmm. So it could, it, I mean, I don't know what that means, but I think it's yeah, an interesting it data point. Simply, they have, you know, no one thought to give Blana a holodeck episode yet, and she will, you know, in the next episode, or is it just. Well, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. She does get an episode, and it's not a holodeck yeah. episode. Well, I, I think that we've spent almost 10 minutes talking about the holodeck because, of course, <laughs> the rest of this episode is I terrible. Well, I. I both I didn't like either of these episodes. I think these were both bad episodes, but Huh, I like Faces a lot. It adds well, I, I have some issues with it. It's certainly a better episode than this. This is just a very light and frothy episode. I had to look through my notes to remember anything that happened in it, in a way. It's just <laughs> kind of there. Well, uh, you're not alone in that, because the person who wrote this episode, <laughs> Vernon Braga, also said that he lost the thread of the plot and didn't know what was happening. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. I I could not really tell you what was happening in this episode. I, I think I have an idea. And I think primarily part of my problem with, with Cathesis is that it's simultaneously an episode that is very plot heavy and also an episode which is much more about mood and feeling, mm-hmm. but nobody has an idea about how these characters should actually be reacting to this because they talk a lot about paranoia. They talk a lot about not being able to trust each yeah. other, but at the end of the day, this is still a Federation ship. And so that's not how they really act. We don't get a sense that they're ever real. I mean, think back to that episode yeah. of TNG, for example, where uh, those um, criminals inhabited the yeah, bodies yeah, 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 of, yeah. of Troy, uh, was it O'Brien and Data? Yeah. Or there was a very similar episode of, of DS9 that did this kind of thing. Yeah, you could tell this is certainly trying to be the Voyager take on that plot. And I don't know that we needed a Voyager take on that plot. Or, well, I think it's more to say that I don't know what Voyager's the Voyager's philosophical take on that plot is yet, be- and that's, I think, why the episode is so, you know, not- when I think about the TNG episode, you know, I'm thinking, for example, the scene where Keiko is trying to get through to O'Brien, you know, it, it, it does a lot of, that episode takes a lot of the horror of it from the fact that these are nice people that we love and they have become unrecognizable. Or, you know, I'm thinking of the Pa Wraith and Keiko, you know, years later yeah, in, yeah. in DS9 and just the terror and just how much – how strong and overwhelming this entity is. Um, well, it seems to me that the Cathesis, the idea came from, okay – We've had this kind of thing before where aliens with yeah. motivations that are not our motivations are doing things patently that we do not want them to do uh, in in pursuit of their goals. Whereas Cathesis started with the idea of, what if the alien is actually one of our people? <laughs> 
but it didn't actually do anything with that idea. Yeah, and 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 I I'm fairly sure there were two aliens, but you know, one of them is Chakotay and he's jumping and the other just stays there, so it really doesn't So all of this paranoia was for nothing because the alien that they had to be worried about wasn't jumping into other people's bodies. Like uh, it, it, it it just is a big goddamn mess that the answer is energy be- beings and we haven't talked about energy beings in so long on this podcast, because, and which has been a wonderful, wonderful run for me because I fucking hate energy beings, and this is why. Yeah, if you're relatively new to Trek About, you may want to go back and listen to the original series podcast where Richard had, I don't know, five-minute rants every time an energy being showed up. That's Which, what which, the... which happened a lot on the original series, let's be clear. Yeah, I... I... I mean, the closest I think DS9 had to energy beings was the Pa Wraiths, and yet I think they were a much better version of the concept because they were actually thought out. Usually when it's energy beings, that's shorthand for we couldn't really bother coming up with or, you know, we, we forgot what was going on halfway through, so we really couldn't figure out a plausible alien. So energy beings can be anything and do anything. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I, I do kind of like the fact that the show is willing to show different types of alien life forms in the Delta Quadrant, though. I mean, that's the one thing that the show, I think, yeah. is doing okay with. I mean, something like the cloud, for instance. If it is going to the energy being well a little too much, let's not forget that we had an episode about energy beings last, last week. week. You know, I, I don't know... I don't know if it's just a matter of they weren't really pacing these episodes very well. <laughs> well, we have two episodes in a row that are just time travel, and it turns out we caused the problem that we're dealing with. And now we have two episodes in a row with there's a weird creature and it's energy beings that it follows its own rules and it just fucks up our stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the, it's 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 well, what I what I'm not really getting at though, or what I'm not really understanding about this episode is. Yes, okay. Chakotay was actually the, the they thought it was an alien that was yeah. doing things that were a problem because they didn't want to they wanted to go back to this this area of space, this dark nebula, I think they called it. And to find out exactly what was going on, it turns out that Tuvok was actually the, the energy being alien the whole time. There was never any ship, and Tuvok was the one that was doing all of this stuff to get them back there, whereas Chakotay was doing all this stuff to get them to not go back there because he didn't want them to go back there because the energy beings were going to suck all of their bile neural energy out of their head. All right. That's a fine, that's a fine starting point for an episode, (laughs) but it never goes any further than that. It's all about the mystery of the episode. And frankly, the mystery isn't that interesting. Yeah. And the resolution is kind of like, Oh, it was Chicote the entire time. Bada bop bada bop. Man, yeah, I, I, what am I supposed to do with that? It's funny to keep because I'm about to say, you know, I was never worried for Chicote in this episode. You know, I knew that he would be reunited with him. Now, I know this is a this is something that we can meta say for just about every character on just about every episode. Yes, there will be uh, for example, I know Kess gets, you know, the actress leaves the show, the character is off. It is possible that Kess gets killed. So yes, there there can be a situation where she is in danger. I don't know if Chakotay makes it through the entire run of the series. You know, I I, I legitimately don't. But I also do. Uh, I, they made the mistake of Skin of Evil once, and I think that is too big of a thing for the franchise to just casually kill off a major character in a stupid way again. Uh, <coughs> Jazzy <Jedi> attacks. <coughs> I I I didn't. 
with Jadzia Dax, I would say I did I didn't like the way they killed her off. I but I don't think you can say that they killed her off in a stupid moment that was too small. You know what I mean? Like it was a big, I, I, I think the show had a proper deal I, with it. Even if the reasoning, even if behind these, we, we don't read, we don't really need to relitigate Jadzia Dax. This is death, how much but... we really don't want to talk about this episode. I think at the end of the day, that's, that's our sum up. We tried to talk about Cathexis and we just kept getting fucking, well, there's two more things that I want to talk about with this episode. Yeah. Uh, uh Number one is is okay. We need to deal with Chicote and the medicine wheel. Yeah, uh, I think it's a nice character moment for Balana that she apparently had this friendship with with Chicote. Yeah. We knew that she had this friendship with Chicote, and I keep pronouncing his name like that, and I think that's just going to be the way it happens because I'm honoring his his Native American heritage. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a it's a fine moment. I think yes. that it's it's a nice character beat for Balana. I don't know that it really tells us much about Chicote, but. It is set up in a way that the resolution of the episode is kind of telegraphed at the beginning. So, okay, that's yeah. Fine. I also like the fact that the doctor is very knowledgeable about it because why wouldn't he be? He's a hologram, sure. You know, it is the kind of thing where, though, I, I, I it is that is trying to make a strong statement about both science and faith. I mean, Voyager is a show where the two don't have any. Uh, conflict with each other again remember Janeway I said in a couple episodes ago that yeah just because I don't know the answer doesn't mean it's not out there you know science right. can't explain everything but there is stuff that we you know don't understand we, you know we and uh so yeah just because you know Balana's explaining the medicine wheel as if he's going to think it's silly it's this you know just this magical you know thinking from uh, and you know the doctor knows enough about it in order to you know, say how a part should properly be done. It's something that is taken very seriously. Well, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I think that maybe that's one of the things that Star Trek Voyager is going to deal with. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, I find this so far, I, I, and I think this does maybe have to do with why why I like the holodeck scene at the beginning in and of itself. I think the show does individual scenes very well. I'm not sure if they always hang together as episodes. Yeah, no, I actually would like, I would agree with that because I, I, there's I, a there's a baseline level of of competence yeah. that the production staff just has at this point. You know, they've yeah. they've been doing ninety Star Trek for for eight years at this point, so they know what they're doing. Yeah, they know how to put together an episode of of they know how to put together scenes. If they don't know how to put put together episodes out of those scenes all the time, well. They are they are making a lot of television. So yeah, I mean, I would, I think it would, I think this show works as a series of vignettes, you know, very well, almost when it's just characters dealing with the thing together. Yeah, that <laughs> that certainly could be. Well, I think that the last thing to talk about before we move on to to faces is is Tuvok's role in all this because I, you know, I'm never really sure how to feel about Janeway's reaction to Tuvok. And I find that their relationship is always a bit, it seems to shift from episode to episode for me. Yeah. And especially considering the fact that Tuvok almost, well, he not almost, he he did blatantly defy Janeway's orders and do something that she did not uh, trust or, or had a huge problem with, right, in, in Prime Factors. It doesn't seem like she remembers that that happened. <laughs> and... You know, I guess in a way it makes sense that Tuvok is the one to be doing this because he would be the one that would be able to cover it up the best because yeah. he's a Vulcan. I don't know. But 
seeing as how none of what Tuvok does in this episode is actually Tuvok, I don't know what we're supposed to to really get out of that. I mean, I, I found it very... This is an interesting episode to come so far after one of their crew literally did betray everybody. I mean, when at the beginning they think Tom may have done something, uh, Janeway does says, "Well, does say, well, I don't think that this is mutiny. You know, maybe it's a right. it, it, there may be some memory issues. There may it's probably an alien beam or ray or something like that." But. She doesn't actually suspect him of doing anything consciously untoward. She doesn't think that he – now, part of that is I I think I agree with her that Tom Paris at this point is not going to do anything too risky because the last two times he tried to do something risky, look what happened to him. So he's going to really play as nicely as he can for the most part. Well, I mean it, it's one of those things that I look at and I say, okay, I totally understand why Janeway is having that reaction because – Picard would have that reaction. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we we talked about with TNG and even with DS9 to a large degree is the fact that Starfleet officers and people in the Federation are just acting in good faith, trust each other. There's never a question about, oh, this weird thing is happening. Okay, let's figure it out. And so, of course, Janeway is going to have that reaction because she is a Starfleet captain. But at the end of the day, the show's baseline setting is one of distrust because they're not all Starfleet officers yeah and Paris is not a Starfleet officer so is that the right reaction on Janeway's part I mean, I, mean I guess they... she, I guess she has to trust him because what else is she going to do she can't walk around and constantly mistrust half of her crew and put it this way they figure out in about 30 seconds that the order came from his console so whatever you will say about Tom Paris he's not that stupid that he would Doing that, obviously. So I, I think that is also helping to indicate to Janeway that, okay, he's not – if he's doing something, he doesn't realize what he's doing. I mean, I – Maybe. I, I guess that I'm um, happy that you think that Tom Paris isn't that stupid, <laughs> although I don't know that there's much think, evidence for that. I know. No, no, no. They're stupid and there's – I'm not going to get caught this way. I think he would at least try to – he would fake it very badly it would be very obvious he's not a good spy, but he would at least try. All right, that's fair. <laughs> well, I think we've said all we said we can say about Kathisic, so let's move on to faces. So I have a fun fact about this episode. Yeah. And this is a little confusing. It took me a second. This episode marked the halfway point. I don't know if this is still true now, of course, because of Discovery and then also some of the other movies, but... This episode at the time in 1995 was the halfway point between between Star Trek. So there were like 326 episodes and movies of Star Trek before this episode, and there were 326 episodes after this episode huh. and movies. Okay. Just an interesting fact. So this is the uh, chocolatey core of Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, it's not half for us because, of course, we already did all of DS9, well, but... Okay, yeah, that made sense. I'm like, we just have a few more. Okay. That's why I was confused as well. Huh. Yes. Anyway. So you apparently did not like this episode. I didn't hate it, but I don't know. It seemed like it was – it's trying to be enemy within from the original series except going for a realism that the premise doesn't really work with and also adding some racial essentialism that I found a little uncomfortable. Okay. I mean, to split Kirk between his positive and negative emotions and to make the uh, 
yeah, to, to make the ultimate point that he needs both of those. He needs the love and compassion in order to, you know, do things positively, and he needs the drive and the ambition to see. That's a fine metaphor for this. Again, in in, in the world of realism, that I have so many questions of what, how, how can you split somebody into the Klingon and the human side and not take nurture into account, not take environment? How can you... Those things are because, for example, Alexander was fu- was fully Klingon, and he was somebody who was not able to tap into his Klingon side. Uh, of course, if you forget, he also did punch a kid in the face, and I think break that his is nose. true. So um, there there is an element to which Klingon violent tendencies do seem to be inborn. Yeah, I I, I guess I feel a little. Uh, it's something I guess I have to accept for the premise of this episode to work, but at the same time, I can't. Necessary. I I feel very uncomfortable saying. Well, yes, obviously the Klingon genetics are the violent and bad and and angry genetics, and they're the I'm going to smash. And you know, be, before thinking, and the human genetics are the compassionate and the meek ones and the careful. There seems something a little uh, problematic with making that assertion for me. I don't disagree with you, but I don't think that's what the episode is doing. Because to me, I look at an episode like Faces, and Balana is an interesting character, and I actually think that she's one of the characters that probably I understand the best so far in in the in this run yeah. of the show. Right? Um, she is a character that has a lot of had maybe I don't know if she still does shame and anger over her Klingonness, and the story that she tells, yeah. To Paris, at the halfway point of this episode, I think is key to that, where she grew up on a human colony and she was very ashamed of her forehead because at the time she says that the Klingon Empire and the Federation were not exactly buds the way they are now. And I think that you see that with Worf's story as well. And so I see Balana's story as one of, here here is another version of the Worf story only that she is half Klingon and half human. That is always going to be sort of a an issue, right? Because you're into cultures or into biologies yeah. necessarily. And so and also you have to add into that that her mother was Klingon and her father abandoned them. And that so, she believes that the Klingonness was the reason that he abandoned. Or she, or or she she believed that as a child. I don't know that she still believes that. I that's that's unclear to me. Yeah. But so what I what I think is that to me I mean, I get, I can get that reading of what you're saying, but to me, this episode is much more about Bolana, to some degree, coming to terms with the fact that the anger that she feels isn't actually coming from the Klingon side. Mm. It's coming from the way that she was raised, because the anger may be more profound, the anger may be felt more strongly, because... Klingon emotions are more yeah, are yeah, yeah. stronger or whatever. Sure. In the same way that Vulcan emotions are supposed to be stronger. But it's not that the anger is necessarily coming from the Klingon genes, right? Because I don't get a sense that Klingon Balana is angry. She doesn't seem very different from a lot of other Klingons no. that we've seen. She's gruff and cold at times, but she's also thinking about how to escape this dangerous situation and... You know, human Balada is being really weak about it, right? And that's kind of where I where I come down on the episode. I don't know if you if you agree with me or I've convinced you at, at all, but 
sure. I I feel at the end there are some elements. Now, yes, it is human Balana talking. I, I, I as I was watching the episode, I kind of divided the characters into Balana and Torres in a way. Uh and it suggests that Bellana Torres is this combination of the two of them, uh, these two separate entities fighting. And I mean, frankly, I know why the show did not do this. It would make no practical sense whatsoever. But it may have even been interesting if the two, if she had been split into the two characters, and that's the character for the rest of the run. Yeah, I think that, that, that was a little difficult. To uh, I, again, I, I understand from a production standpoint why that would never fly, but that would be interesting to have this character literally split between the two. And because I do like the scenes of her working with herself and dealing with, I mean, she she leaves the episode saying, "I'm always we're always going to be fighting each other," but. It doesn't make the obvious uh, – nobody makes the statement that, well, you can learn to work together too. You did work together. You will always come at this from two very different you, – you are going to be very ambivalent when it comes to decisions because you have these two sides which are coming to two different conclusions. But they can be both convinced into the the, the compromise angle, which is what ends up saving them in the episode. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I, I mean, I think that that to me, though, I mean, we do have to cra- grapple with, uh, uh, you know, human Balana as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you call them Balana and Taurus, and I call them Klingon and human Balana. <laughs> but I, because I think if they had split them, or if she had stayed human for the rest of the show, they still would have called them Balana. But yeah, I don't know. Balana is a Klingon name, right? And Taurus is a human name to yeah, me. But I mean, so I guess that yeah, I that's guess, yeah, I just mean, why in my mind I did it. But yeah, no, it's fine. I, I think that. Because to me, what this episode really hinges on is the idea of of having a conversation with your own psyche. Yeah. And human Balana does seem to me to be the more Balana of the two, even though both of them appear to have all of their memories and personality. Yeah. Now, of course, their personalities are a bit different. Balana, you know, human Balana is a bit meeker. She's a bit quieter. Klingon Balana is much more brusque, much more ready to take action. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. And I think and that if you put it in context of saying Balana Torres, the integrated Balana Torres that that is the normal Balana yeah. Torres, has come to rely on some of her Klingon physiology. I mean, we know for a fact that Klingons are just stronger, yeah. more resilient than humans. So the human Balana is weaker because she's just weaker you know that that's kind of a i mean it's a little bit of a tautology but it but it's a true statement and so that to me speaks to the fact that she comes to the realization that she does need both halves of herself yeah because she is having a conversation with her own psyche and i don't see biological determinism in that i just see a person who is who is still grappling with and coming to terms with being raised in a you know, uh, in a sense, kind of a, it's kind of an immigrant story. It's a, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think one of the parts that I found very poignant was she, she makes a point of saying, you know, everyone was very polite about it. She, it's not like hers was a story where she was beaten up by people or where her and her mother grew up dirt poor. They were still in the Federation. They still, everybody was super nice. Nobody actually said anything to her because they know that, even if tensions are low, we are still working with the Klingons, and gee, they're going to be our friends. But 
at the same time, it's she was still hyper aware of the rift of it. I, I think that is, I mean, certainly one of the things we are realizing, quote unquote, post racial America, post civil rights, is that just having a bunch of laws on the on the books that say everything's fine and dandy is not the same as things actually being okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think we realize that, yeah. that a lot of other people don't. Well, yeah, and in a way, Balada's story is a way of exploring that kind of institutionalized racism. Uh, I thought it was hilarious how she's starting to say, yeah, I was so embarrassed about my forehead, and Tom is trying, you know, he means so well, and he's trying to bond with her, and he's like, yeah, my dad would give me a haircut, it was so embarrassing, and... And that's when she's like, well, my dad left, and I think it's because he didn't like the fact that his daughter was half Klingon, so at least you had a dad. <laughs> you know, like, like, I, I, Tom Paris ta- tries. I, I found that. I, I really did love that scene. Again, when, when, it's, when it's characters having conversations, the, the two actors do know the characters well, and they are working well together. He is doing his best as again somebody who means well and thinks the world is that simple, and she is somebody who recognizes that he's trying, but also is like, no, okay, well, here's how it really is. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right, um, and I think that Tom Paris also is the kind of character that perhaps has never really had to try that yeah. much. Uh, because he's apparently good looking and charming. He's the son of a Starfleet admiral. Yeah, the the the, the uh, and the problems that he's had in his life, he has accepted are his own damn fault. But you're right; he's never been the victim of circumstance. Sure, he's been the victim of his own dumb mistakes. Yes. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think also key to that, uh, you know, aside from Tom Paris uh, in speaking to to Bellana again, is that. Well, okay, number one, of course, is the revelation that there are two Balanas in this episode. Yeah. I think that that is something that the episode does pretty well. You know, I, I, I'm i yeah, I'm yeah, surprised yeah. every time I watch this episode, not that I watch this episode a lot, but, you know, it's just always one of those things like, oh, yeah, right, of course, yeah, there's human blonde in this episode, too, and okay, that's sure, I'll go with that. Yeah, and it's such an obvious that, yeah, there would be a human Balana, but the episode elides that fact or hides the fact as long as it can, you're, you're right. The timing of that reveal is very well done. It's very well done, and also I, I, I think that you know, key to that, of course, is well. Number one, it, it, you know, number one, of course, is that the, the teaser, the cold open for this episode, is incredibly short. I mean, it's like thirty seconds. Yeah. And and you, oh oh, Balana's a Klingon. Oh my God, what's happening? And I have to say the the episode the the episode is dark enough and I'm blind enough that I didn't a hundred percent recognize that she had been turned fully Klingon in that. I just thought, okay, well weird lighting and she's been tortured a bit. So you should, you should probably get some new glasses. I I, I do need to do that. And then if if you would like to give Richard some new glasses, please go to (laughs) patreon.com slash truck about show. So yeah, I think that that's also true, but, but you know what I'm getting at really is, okay. So the character of Sulan, the the chief surgeon of the Vidian yeah. Salad. What is it? Sodality? I don't even know what now, a sodality is. He was not. Was he in the original Phage episode? No, he wasn't. Okay. Uh, although, how the hell would you know? Because... That, that's why I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't. But his character is interesting to me as well because it's introduced by him basically giving this speech that is horrifying. And I mean, he is performing genetic experiments yeah. on people against their will in pursuit of curing a disease 
he is basically a I don't know if you want to call him Dr. Mengele figure, but he's something that's I not great. I don't know because at least he's at, at least this guy has an actual reason. I, you always get the sense for Dr. Mengele, he's more into just experimentation for its own sake and mad science. He's a I I think and what is this fellow's name? Sulan. Sulu is trying to Sulu at least means I think Sulu is Sulu is a character who is going too far in the service of a noble goal. He is one of those this is a this the phage needs to be cured and certain certain lines may need to be crossed but he is crossing lines that are much further than. Frankly, if yeah. he, if, frankly why couldn't it, it precludes the possibility that he could have walked up to Bellana Taurus and said if you give me some blood samples and maybe just a few generic tissue samples, non-invasive, I might be able to get something done and cured. She might have said yes to that. She may have said yeah, yes. Yeah, we, we, it's 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 as the episode uh, with should we bring the literature to the this planet? Jane Wade, you know, says we need to explore every possibility before crossing the line. You don't get the sense that Sulu has done that. Well, I think the Vidi, I mean, this kind of gets to the heart of the Vidians, of course, yeah. because this is the second time we've seen them and they are apparently a thing now. I, I like them as a, as a concept. I think that they're interesting. They're, There's something that wouldn't work in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. I think that it also highlights exactly how precarious Voyager's situation is because if they were in the Alpha Quadrant, after their first encounter, I don't think there's any way the Vidians would ever fuck with a Federation starship again. But the Federation, you know, would not let them do this. They would be like, oh, you're a giant, <laughs> you're, you're a giant empire, and we are apparently a dying race that has no real military. Yeah. So we're not going to fuck with you. Whereas in the Delta Quadrant, that's not the case. And so, yeah, of course, they're going to fuck with them again, because why not? And, and I also think in the Alpha Quadrant, the Federation would have said, all right, well, we have were would have done its damnedest to cure this thing. Would oh, have, yeah, would have worked with them. That that is the benefit. Of, uh, part of the implication is that the Delta Quadrant has no uh, has no larger institution. For example, the I mean, think about the Gamma Quadrant has the Dominion. The Dominion number one would have caused the phage, would have created yeah. it or something like that. And that's or they would the use it, it as an opportunity. It, it, exactly. But there is a – in both the Alpha and the Gamma Quadrant, there is a larger governing body that kind of knows what's going on in there. That's not the case. And not only is Voyager alone, there really doesn't seem to be any larger network at this point at least. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and I think you're right. Like if the original episode Phage was, it, let's say, a TNG episode. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, okay. Jordy LaForge gets kidnapped by the Vidians, and at the end of the episode, they get him back, and his lungs are back, and whatever, right? Uh, Picard would have a conversation with the Vidians and say, you know, I know that you were desperate. I know yeah. that you have this terrible thing happening to your culture. Uh, the Federation will offer help and assistance to you. The Vidians would have gone, oh, my God, you guys are wonderful, yeah. and then everything would have been fine. Whereas Voyager is not that show. Yeah. They don't have the, the luxury of doing that. And I think that, I mean, one of the... One of the problems, I think, or a minor problem, is that I don't see a lot of uh, hand-wringing on, on Janeway's part about that. Yeah. She doesn't seem very interested in helping them. I mean, in the original episode, Phase, she is to a degree. I think she does everything she can for them. She recognizes that she can't do much. They they tried to—they they do what they can. They help out 
with getting Neelix back together. She, I guess, gives them some medical records or something, some kind of assistance. Yeah. But that's the really the only trade that they can do. At this point, they've they've kind of broken the tacit truce that they've started, right? They she and the Vidians have had their first contact and it ended if not great, at least amiably, and now they're breaking that, and now they're kidnapping her crew and performing experiments on it. Fuck that, you know? Which I think is a good example yeah. of exactly how precarious Voyager's situation is again, because yeah, yeah. how are they going to stop them from doing this? I mean, I think that, that to some degree, the, the open question at this point is, why are they still acting as though they're in the alpha quadrant yeah because to me me it's like okay if you're going to be beaming down to a random planet or whatever they were doing take more than three dudes well let me put it this way if sesk if they had openly worked with the kazan if they hadn't if they had allowed seska to do what she did all right the the vidians have kidnapped one of our crew you know hey kazan help us out and the kazan argus are going to say you know, you fuck with the ship, you're fucking with us again. I, th- this is a perfect example of why Seska did what she did, because she recognizes that they are going to be facing a lot of bigger people than they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Vidians, the, the Kazon, yeah. they may not be that bad, but what happens if they do yeah. run? I mean, what happens, like, theoretically, what happens if they do run across a Dominion-style yeah. force in, <laughs> in the Delta Quadrant? Now, I don't think they're going to, but they could. I mean, put it this way. I know they're going to deal with the Borg. They would be very nice to have a big series of ships with them when they deal with that, rather than just be one lone thing. Um, Although, at the same time, you could argue that it might be easier for them to escape if that's it was just one ship. I, I don't, obviously, I will see how those stories uh, go on. But the point is, yes, there is some. there are bigger things in the, in the Delta Quadrant that they're going to have to deal with. I guess what bothers me is that i worry that the vidians are a little too cartoonishly evil there is a little yes. bit for example with the doctor and though they're going creepy oh you know so beautiful i love klingon genetics wow that's creepy and then she's like all right i'm gonna work with this let me try and flirt my way into getting out of this thing at which point he's like no i know i repulse you don't worry we'll deal with this as soon as it's like all right he's he's number one not stupid enough to realize that what's going on and he's not going to push a boundary because again he's too smart to re- he knows it's a trap and he it almost seems that well i'd rather you actually like me fine what does he what does he do then he kills her crewmate and put puts his face on like okay that any humanization this character had had is just out by the wayside at this point. I don't really care anymore. I sh- I feel like they want us to lament the Vidian slightly. We were not always like this. We used to be a great civilization. We used to have art. We used to have culture. And then this disease just ruined us. And we made these desperate choices. Now they're a society who all they do is make these horrible desperate choices out of They've become, frankly, the villains from insurrection rather than anything that's... I, I, I have no compassion or pity for the Vidians at this point, and I think that's a failure on the show's part. Is it, though? I mean, maybe that's what they're trying to go for. I don't know. I, I think that if you look... Yeah. you know, Let's go back to the quickening from DS9, for instance, right? Yeah. That was a society that was decimated by this disease, a lot of them were, I mean, they're basically kick dogs. Yeah. You know, they're, they're very, very, very shy. And they're very, very quick to 
get angry. They're very quick to be paranoid about what you're doing there. And that was a society that was, but they were a little bit more willing to be open because they were not as powerful as the Vidians. They were stuck on their planet. They were, it looked like they were basically at a semi-medieval level of technology at this point. Whereas the Vidians still seem to have some sort of interstellar society. They're able to hang some sort of technologically advanced society together. They obviously have medical technology that the Federation can't even dream of. Now, of course, we'll, we'll talk about the end of the episode, but I think that for, for what I look at the Vidians, I say, this is a people that may have been wonderful. They may have been very artistic as they say in the phage, whereas they are so profoundly damaged by this disease that I, I don't think that they, I don't think that they care. Yeah, and, no, and I, there's the... And I think what you're seeing here is a society that just has become so inured to to hope that they just are shut down. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't say shut down. I would say, well, I would say that the, the society from the quickening is shut down. These, the Vidians have become monsters as a result of their, their trials. I guess that's... Yeah, you're you're right. I guess that's a point that there, you deal with abuse by either graciously or by becoming an abuser yourself. They've become an abuser. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, they I have. Think that's bec- right. Their disease has taken them to the become to the point where they have become a blight on their quadrant. Now, also the other question that, or the other point as well, is that you know someone like Sulan who is the 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 chief surgeon, which seems to be a very important role in yeah. the DN society probably would have to be as ruthless as possible to to rise to that level. I mean, we're not really seeing random Vidians that are just home working at the yeah, factory, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, we don't know what an, an average Vidian is like. We're, in, in, a, in, in the same yeah. way, for for example, all the Romulans we ever see are assholes, yeah. but we don't know what the average Romulan is like necessarily. We're seeing slave foremen and the people who are the slave foremen's bosses. It, it's it, true. So yeah, they are not going to be the nicest people. Exactly, yeah. Now, a couple questions I have about, or maybe a couple of disappointments I have with this episode. Uh, number one, this was written by Kenneth Biller, who joined the show in the first season, I think, as a, as a story editor. He uh, show runs the show in the seventh season. So he sticks with the show the, the entire time, and he becomes showrunner in the seventh season. So he's the showrunner of the fourth Voyager show, then? Yes. Okay. Correct. What worries me about this episode are, is two things. The character of Durst, Pete Durst, Fred Durst, who, yeah, from from what is it? What the band? Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit. Yes, of course. How could I forget Limp Biscuit? He he's in Cathesics. He's he's in the, the episode we just talked about. Um, obviously, he was introduced in that episode because they didn't want to just kill a random person yeah. in, in faces. But uh, nobody asks about him when they come back to the I ship. Know. He's just gone, and everyone no like not even not even like. They don't. They don't mention him. Yeah, Janeway no. doesn't go. What the fuck happened to the other guy that was with you? Um, there's a part where I think Chakotay's talking to Paris, and both of them seem to have already gotten the memo, like specifically. And this is a point where Tom has had no. Tom doesn't even know where Bolana is, let alone that there are two Bolanas. The last he saw or heard of uh, Fred Durst was that he was being marched off to talk to the ship, and. 
you would think that the most logical thing for Tom Paris to say at that moment is, Chakotay, oh my God, Durst's message must have gotten through to you. Did you hear from him? Is he okay? Because I don't think anyone knows what happened to him except for Klingon Balana, and she's dead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they could certainly assume that he's been killed, but that yeah, he could still be in the facility for all they know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other the other problem I have with this episode is that they introduced the idea that that the chief surgeon infected Klingon Balana with the phage. Yeah. But after she gets excruciating joint pain, they never mention it again. Did it work? Did it not work? I guess I guess that's not the point of the episode, but it seems to be a drop plot point that bothers me because do they all have the phage now? Did she infect the entire ship when they beamed her back? Like what, what's yeah, going on that, here? That's true. Or if she did, if it turns out Klingons are indeed able to shake this off and he's able to get some data from this. I, I guess my question is, see, I'm going past this assuming that, all right, well, there's going to be a third Vidian episode at least. And maybe that'll be how they resolve it. Maybe it turns out that Balana's blood did help them to develop a cure. And yeah. now they've cured the phage. Well, what are they doing? Are they still going to be kidnapping people? How do we do? I mean, I think that would be an interesting beat for this to go to now that the thing which has given them, quote unquote, the moral right to go around and steal people's organs is gone. Are they still going to be seek stealing people's <laughs> organs when it's all that they know how to do in a way? Right, right. That's their main, that's their main export yeah, at this I, point. I, so, I mean, the planet from the quickening views it as a, as a opportunity for new life and renewal and all of this and hope for the next generation. I would be curious, how will the Vidians view this cure? I... I'm getting the, I don't know. It would be nice to see that episode. Well, maybe we'll find out. Okay. I don't know. Uh, There's, they're doing continuity very similar to how TNG did continuity, except a lot quicker, I would say. What do you mean by that? Like, I, I the, the Phage itself was a fairly self-contained episode. This is a sequel rather than a second part of it. You could see TNG doing that kind of thing, but a couple seasons apart. Like, oh, we need to, you know, I'd be really curious. What's happened to the Vidians in this time? Oh, well, maybe they, you know, remember. I, I, the, actually, you're right. In terms of a plot hole, did any of the Vidians see Balana examine her or anything about that in the first episode? How do they know that she's a Klingon and that she might possibly be a... Well, I think that the if i'm remembering correctly no they did not in phage but yeah. I, I guess it's just one of those things where they have that technology and she was on the away mission this time so they yeah. immediately found out that she was a klingon well obviously i mean you know obviously right. because you know when they scan it all of their delta quadrant says klingon it pops up i mean you know you just gotta yeah. go with it at a certain point I, I, that doesn't really bother I, me that much i th i think it's part of the general tone of this episode there are a few things that okay we just gotta except that this is what happened because the episode needs it to work. To some degree, that's okay, but I worry that the skin of the episode gets rather thin as a result. Yeah, that might be the case. Yeah. Um, one other thing I want to talk about before, or just mention before we wrap this episode up, is uh, Tuvok and Neelix. I'm a shipper. Aww. Uh, I like the fact that they like to fuck with each other, and I just hope they fuck at some point. Okay. That's a great scene of cultural appropriation. This is a scene. Yeah, yeah. is such a jerk. There is, so there was, I want to see it was the New York Times, the New Yorker. Somebody, it was a recipe for guacamole involving peas. And it was this huge thing about whether, and Neelix is basically doing the equivalent of peas and guacamole. I mean, there are two 
camps about that. Number one is food should just taste good and, you know, mashed pea guacamole style may taste very good. Fine. The other is Tuvok's point that if you're doing this in order to specifically evoke home for people who miss it, uh, if you're doing it to be an expression of a culture or something like that, and there is an accepted standard of how something is going to be, then not then deviating from that standard won't really be doing the thing, right? I, I think that's true. Mm. I also wonder if Vulcans eat anything but plumbing soup. I like that it's very bland. Of course it would be. <laughs> uh, and the last thing is also food-related. The rodent that Klingon Balana kills looks like a bagel on a stick. Okay, it wasn't just me. Okay, good. I I, I just wanted to point that I, out because I, it bothered me. There was some slight crunchiness and chewiness based on uh, the sound and the expression that Balana, that Torres made when she ate it. And so, yeah, I don't know what kind of texture it is, but certainly I don't think Balana is a good cook. I would not think so, no. I don't think that a impaled rodent cooked over a fire with no salt would be very I was going to say, get a little salt, a little cayenne pepper, some brown sugar to give it a nice caramelized glaze. Cayenne pepper? Who are you, Neelix? I love cayenne pepper. <laughs> well, I think that's it for Cathesis and Faces. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you support our podcasts, with any level of donation per month, you will get a special reward. People seem to like them, and we will love you forever. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are releasing our episode on the X-Files episodes, EBE and Miracle Man, in two days on Thursday. So check that out. X-Files podcasts are very good, I think. And I think Richard agrees with me. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. The truth is out there. There you go. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are in all these places. Truckabout Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, believe it or not, we are finishing up the first season of Star Trek Voyager. Already? Already. There were four episodes more in this season, but they shifted them to the second season to save money. How? Looking at me blankly. I, I, I don't understand what you mean by saving money. They only had to make 22 episodes know, next know, season instead of 26. Uh, yeah, it's like an accounting trick. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Jatrell and Learning Curve. 